0: You're listening to Conversations in the Cloud, a weekly podcast where IT leaders exchange insights about issues around cloud architectures for the data center. And now your host, Alison Klein.
1: Welcome to a special edition of Conversations in the Cloud. The Asia-Pacific region has been growing at an incredible rate, faster than any other region in terms of use of computing. We're reporting from Penang, Malaysia, where Intel has been holding an Intel Cloud Summit. For this first episode, I was really lucky to connect with Intel's Billy Cox, who's been on the program before, to talk about what's been going on with the Intel Cloud Builders program since we launched it last fall. Let's go to the episode. Welcome, Billy.
0: Good to be here, Allison.
1: So, Billy, the last time you were on this program, we had just launched the Intel Cloud Builders program. And today in Asia, we're six months past that point. Can you characterize where we've been with the program and what we've learned along the way? It's
0: been an amazing ride, Allison. We started with 20 reference architectures in San Francisco when we did the launch. What's happened since then is we've gotten 10 more published. We've gotten dozens of adoptions from customers. We've seen the feedback and the incredible response to the white papers, the reference architectures, not just from customers who... We'll look at them, but also from our partners who now see them as a way to communicate how their technology and solutions can be used. Uh, We've also discovered that there's a component of of the market that's reached through the BVARs or the reseller channels that also finds value in these because they're having to go in, usually on short notice, and find ways to solve customer problems. And, of course, it's great to be here in Penang and interact with the local audience here and see some of the ways that they're using these stories as well.
1: You know, that's, that brings me to my next question. You know, we've been around the world now with the Cloud Builders partners talking about cloud computing and the evolution of cloud computing. What have we learned about the Asia-Pacific market and the adoption of cloud across all of those various countries?
0: Certainly the internet connection from the populace as a whole is significantly less in Asia, so the impacts of the growth of connectivity, the growth of the number of devices is going to be a whole lot more acute here in Asia than we see in North America and Europe. A 10% jump in Asia will be more than the population of the U.S. This society wants to be connected, but there's are small numbers, so the growth here is going to be huge. So local companies who are providing that content are going to see just enormous growth. The other thing I, I like that I see here is a lot of innovation. They take their own approach to the way they solve applications, the way they deliver content, what kinds of content they create, and that's what this is all about, is to create new ways of delivering new things.
1: When you've talked to data center managers here, are they asking the same types of questions about cloud adoption as other geographies, or are they taking a different slant at that challenge as well?
0: For better or for worse, corporate IT tends to be corporate IT, whether mm-hmm. they be multinational or regional or, or a country, and so they tend to have the same kinds of questions. The subtle difference that I see in Asia is a different set of partners, uh, and sometimes the partners have broader or maybe a much broader roles than we see in North America. We've also, as has been reported, see different, shall we say, payment models. You know, some, mm-hmm. In Asia, we tend to see cell phones uh, done on a prepaid model. Uh, and so if your services are, are misaligned from a financial model, you may not find customers. So we're going to see a lot of subtle differences there. Do those uh, reflect back into the data center? Uh, I'm not sure they'll directly touch it, but they certainly will change the financial models.
1: When you've talked to customers about the reference architectures, what appeals to most about them to the customers themselves?
0: It's interesting that I've had two primary feedback. One is, wow, these things are clean, simple. I can understand this. I get it, right? The other is, sure, I'd made a selection as to which vendor I wanted to use. I'd been reading the marketing collateral and had studied the uh, products, had looked at reviews, But until they saw the reference architectures, they didn't actually know how to use them to go solve their problems. And it's no dig at our ISV partners, but they tend to tell you what their product does. They don't generally need or feel like they need at that point to tell you, if you want to go through, implement a use case, here's how you go do it. And and so these reference architectures are actually very explicit in that regard. And I had at least one uh, partner tell me that the value to him was he was able to look behind the scenes and see what these tools look like without having to go buy them, learn them, set them up, Uh, and and then do something
1: when you looked at the reference architectures this week you know obviously we've done four of these events now we've been around the world with our cloud day program with the cloud builders partners have you seen an evolution of the stories that our partners are telling and the technology that they're showing associated with their reference architectures from the initial event
0: what's happening is we've caused our partners to start talking about solutions We are guilty as well. We tend to talk about our technology and our products, and that tends to be how we talk. What we're seeing here is a transition towards talking about solutions.
1: Do you think that there's room for differentiation of solutions when we move to that model and understanding why vendor A might be better than vendor B for their particular challenge?
0: I firmly believe that by focusing on usage models, we actually expand the range of differentiation and not compress it. If your box is, I build, I don't know, software to manage virtual machines, then you get to innovate in that box. But if your box is delivering infrastructure as a service at an optimum carbon or IO control level or whatever, now that's a much, much bigger box. Uh, And you may have to partner with different people. There may have to be different kinds of relationships established with service providers to go deliver it. That sounds like additional innovation in the market space. So what I call the bag of parts model moves to the here's how to use the parts in the bag model. Mm -hmm. Boy, you know, what do you want to do? There's much, much greater opportunity. So I'm going to argue it doesn't constrain them, it actually opens it up.
1: What is the biggest opportunity, do you think, and what are you most excited about seeing?
0: So what gets me up every morning is the ability to change uh, IT from a complex, cost center beast, unwieldy, uh, you know, the, the curse of every person in a business unit to part of the company that's actually driving the business units, providing new opportunities, looking at uh, data analytics.
1: I think IT managers around the world are excited that you're doing that for them, Billy. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Uh, I can't wait to have you back on the program again so that you can tell us where you're at with the Cloud Builders program and, and delivering the solutions with the cloud. Thank you very much for being on the program today.
0: Thanks for having me, Allison.